It's brilliant that this week on the Fit for Purpose podcast, I'm interviewing Jackie Smith. Obviously, a lot of you will know her time spent in politics and our paths just crossed um, when I came into Parliament. But lastly, Jackie has had a hugely important role as chair of the Birmingham University's NHS Trust. And that's what I want to really talk about today and the work on levelling up that I think the NHS can and will be doing over the coming years. Jackie, great to have you on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about about Birmingham University's NHS Trust. It's a huge organisation, isn't it? Well, just it's great to, to be with you and brilliant to be part of the work that um, you're doing. And particularly, as you say, with this uh, University Hospitals Birmingham hat on, um, because I think sometimes even um, as part of it, we forget quite how significant we are for Birmingham and Solihull and the surrounding area. So we have four hospitals across Birmingham and Solihull, um, including the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, which of course is that very big um, PFI hospital, which is also, people may well know it as being um, home to where our troops came, come back to because we have a very important partnership with the Royal College for Defence uh, Medicine. And then we have Heartlands Hospital and Good Hope Hospital, Solihull, uh, hospital and we also run the community services over in Solihull as well and so we have everything from some of the most specialist um, tertiary provision in the country we have the largest solid organ transplant um, program probably in Europe and sometimes we say in the world but we're never quite sure what's going on in China and we have the largest critical care unit um, in the country and we have 21,000 staff and a, a turnover of 1.7 billion. So a significant uh, employer, a significant procurer, a significant user of the land and um, estates across Birmingham and Solihull as well. And perhaps we haven't always I think in the NHS in general, never mind just in Birmingham, Solihull, recognise the significance of our organisations, not just for providing healthcare, but as neighbours, as customers, as um, you know, users of the environment, and of course as employers. And I, I think it's really important that we think about that more carefully and how we can maximise that. And of course, it's been a really difficult year for for everybody but perhaps most of all for people involved in the NHS I, I guess as you come out of that there are a lot of reflections on how hard it's been for for all of your staff well indeed and at UHB we had the largest number of Covid cases of any trust uh, in the country in fact by just over 40 percent from the from the next nearest and that I think was a function both of the size of the trust, but also of the way in which Birmingham in particular was hit over quite a lengthy period of time by COVID. And of course, the way in which certainly during the first and second waves, people were being hospitalized in such large numbers and sadly dying. I mean, you know, we also um, saw the largest number of deaths in um, our trust of any trust. and. You know, I've been talking to staff across our trust and they tell me, and I, I'm sure this is true, that, you know, this is 
the biggest challenge they've faced in the whole of their time in the NHS. I think it's frankly, I think it's the biggest challenge that the NHS has, has faced. And it's been just enormously difficult, uh, but um, inspirational in terms of the way that people have risen to that challenge. And of course, you know, it started just over a year ago now with that first wave when we were really not that clear about what we what we were facing, let alone um, how much long it was going to go on for, how big it was going to be. But in some ways, that first wave was almost, you know, when I talk to the staff, they say, well, there was a real sense, we were worried, but there was a real sense of people pulling together and there was sort of one simple job in some ways, which mm -hmm. was to care for these COVID patients and to save as many lives as possible. Actually, in the second wave, and increasingly now, it's become even tougher because, of course, we focused on COVID. We turned all our hospital resources to COVID. And that, I'm afraid, meant that, you know, people who had other conditions, who needed operations for other things, have, have had to wait. And we're now in a situation coming, I hope, through the pandemic, where actually we're trying now to catch up with that backlog. So it's, if anything, even more difficult for our staff now, because, yes, we're not caring for the same numbers of people with COVID, but we're trying to recover what we had before and to treat the people who've had to go onto those waiting lists and who we're now really keen to help to get through. So it's been an enormous challenge actually and I've had massive respect for the way in which staff have um, responded but they remain really really I mean they're really worried about whether or not it's going to come back again they're really worried about how they're going to deal with this backlog so it's a time when over the whole of the last 15 months our staff well-being has been really important but it's a time now I think when we really do need to look after those staff and so that they can look after the people that are dependent on the NHS not just for Covid but for all the other things as well. Yeah I can, I can absolutely I can I can understand that and I remember um, when we were dealing with the Ebola outbreak in Sierra Leone you know, we steadily got on top of it, thankfully, with a huge amount of hard work, including from some amazing NHS staff who, who went out there to, to, to work on this. But actually beyond that, then we confronted another challenge, which was almost the aftermath. And the fact that almost when people were focusing on dealing with the crisis, that there was at least a sort of clarity, if yeah. you like, of, of the priority. And, and it was... How do you transition from that, where we know what we're all doing, to then going back to a, a more normal world where it's more competing priorities, but also people have all had their own experiences. And, and for a lot of them, it's been incredibly tough. And, and so they're actually coping with quite a personal challenge as, as well as, you know, this emergence of a more normal day to day NHS, I suppose, that they're having to, to succeed in. That's exactly right, Justine. And I've been doing some listening exercises with our staff, talking to them about how they feel having come through, uh, hopefully having come through the pandemic. And that's exactly how people feel. I mean, you know, they sort of feel a bit proud, you know, they feel proud about having come through in the way in which they have. They feel knackered, frankly, <laughs> because of everything that they've gone through. But there's also a great sort of psychological burden that people carry you know they've had to 
take a lot of responsibility for the well-being of patients at times when their families couldn't visit them. They've seen more people die than they, you know, but a nurse said to me just the other day, we're nurses, we know that people die in our care. We've just never seen it happening in such large numbers and had that impact and then had to go home to our own families and be worried about what's happening with them. And you can just imagine how much just psychological and physical toll that's taken on people. Mm. And now as others are moving on from the pandemic, they're having to you know actually clear up the or begin to clear up the impact that will be with us for years of the backlog and the way in which I think we will be changing services and trying to get things back up and running properly again. And of course one of the other issues we move on to um, that's of national importance is levelling up and this sense that we are coming out of the pandemic really battered and bruised, but actually there's there's also a future that needs to be built um, that's better and fairer. And tell us a little bit, Jackie, about that wider role you mentioned at the beginning, really, that, you know, University Hospitals Birmingham Trust can play on that levelling up agenda. You, you clearly see it more than, if you like, just the role in healthcare provision. So give us a sense of that bigger picture for the trust and then and then we'll dig into some of the different bits of it. Yeah. Well, first of all, if we've learned anything during the pandemic, it's that um, it was tough for everybody, but it exacerbated and shone a light on the inequalities that happen that exist within our communities. You know, so whether or not it was the greater prevalence in certain ethnic minority groups, whether or not it was the impact of, you know, crowded housing on um, the transmission of uh, COVID, you know, whether or not it was those people who'd already got pre-existing um, chronic conditions who were more likely to be seriously ill or to die from COVID. You just saw starkly how those inequalities were impacting. But, you know, before we went into the pandemic, pandemic, we were already beginning to think, look, we are this very large employer, this very large occupier, neighbour of our communities. And we're beginning to think, well, actually, we should be taking a broader view of population health. And therefore, there are things that we can do to help to make people healthier in the first place, you know, as well as they come into hospital, we give them fantastic treatment, they go out again. Well, we're their employers, we're their neighbours, we're their polluters if we're not careful. We're providing jobs for people. So um, in, including through the procurement that we, that we do, and perhaps we can do that more locally. So there's a whole range of ways we can work with partners to identify what are the determinants of ill health, not just how do we treat people when they're sick and they come into the into the hospital we can you know we're the largest nhs provider in the area so as we increasingly work across the system how can we work with local government and others to identify the things that will make people ill in the first place and help to uh, address those so yes it's about health but it's also about the environment how we build communities, how we work with a voluntary sector, how, how we employ people, how we provide job opportunities for people locally. And increasingly, I think we, and the reason we were so 
keen to work with you is because you know that it feels right as the spender of a large amount of public money for us to be thinking about that and actually if you're worried about people's health you have to be worried about what causes ill health in the first place and i'm sure that all of those things can have a positive or a negative impact depending on how we operate i think you put it really well and you know we're 10 years on from the marmot report and you know really its main finding it looked to health inequalities didn't it jackie and its main finding was that so much of it is driven by societal issues at large and you know michael marmot also also highlighted that actually people who have more opportunities and and actually almost better jobs better careers tend to be healthier and so it's almost about breaking that vicious cycle and and creating a virtuous circle. And I think that's really why the NHS obviously ends up playing such a pivotal role in levelling up and levelling up plays such a pivotal role on the NHS in the end. And I think what we were, we were delighted, we are delighted to work with you because we felt that we've seen so much best practice from so many different organisations. It was a really interesting challenge and question to, to work through with you what might that mean for an organisation that's actually in the public sector? Yeah. Um, it's a government that wants to do levelling up. And actually, what, what does it mean if you're in an NHS trust that really looks at, you know, every person you recruit and every pound you spend and says, actually, what can we do to do to use that to drive levelling up? And then, as you say, looking beyond all of that, that those wider 14 levelling up goals, you know, what's the impact you can you can have much more much more broadly tell us a little bit about your the health inequalities in in relation to how how they actually play out on the ground in the area that your trust serves yeah it's a very diverse area obviously well, well it is so it's not so it's almost all of Birmingham and Solihull and in Birmingham um you know to, to sort of starkly demonstrate the health inequalities you can travel um, I think it's you can travel seven stops on the train and in doing that people's healthy life expectancy uh, falls by 10 years. Now that's not because uh, in those two different parts of Birmingham they've got different health services because they haven't because they're all being provided by our trust to a high standard or you know by Sometimes there is a differential in GPs, but, you know, it's the same health service largely providing it. Mm -hmm. There must be other things that are causing that discrepancy in people's health. And it is things like whether or not you're able to get a job, what sort of housing you live in, how polluted the, the, um, the area is that you, that you live in. You know, and, so, and then in terms of your quality of life, it's things like, you know, do you feel safe on your streets? Have you got a strong sense of community? Have you got, can you exercise? Have you got green spaces you can go to? All of those things uh, impact on people's health. And all of them, to a certain extent, the NHS and our trust can play a role in as well. And it even goes as far as, you know, one of the things I've been really proud of doing uh, in the trust is making a link up, for example, with an organisation called Red Thread, who work with um, victims of violence in our emergency department. And so they will be, if somebody comes, if a young person comes in who's been a victim of violence, this is, this is quite often what is called a teachable moment. 
and we have now youth workers in our emergency department who can sit down with those young people and actually to get them to think about their lives because quite often if you're the victim of violence you may well be a perpetrator or involved in lifestyles that are probably not good for you and the people around you and with that organization we're turning around young people's lives and that's just one way in which you know in some ways what has this got to do with healthcare? you might say but actually if these are the young people that are coming in and out of our um, emergency department because they're they're being beaten up or stabbed or worse actually intervening does help our emergency department but more importantly it helps the communities they live in and it helps them in terms of their lives in the future that's just sort of one small example of how what we do in the NHS is so much bigger than simply the direct health provision that we're responsible for I think I think that's spot on and what's really interested me in all of this is the reason we we did the leveling up goals was to show that bigger picture and to show how it's it's a system change that you need if you're really going to get a different outcome and a fairer one for people and that you might have one bit of that system which is the nhs make some changes that don't directly necessarily massively change health per se but you have a much bigger impact if you like in an entirely different area so for example some of the work that the um Birmingham sorry the um Bradford Opportunity Area this is an education initiative um I got going whilst I was at the DFE it brought together you know the schools plus some of the employers but also interestingly they got together with the NHS and that was part of that opportunity area now, one of the things that came out of it that probably had Jeremy Hunt and I sat for, for weeks in Whitehall and tried to come up with this, we, we probably wouldn't have, was it, it occurred to them that maybe one of the issues on literacy in Bradford was that there wasn't good access for some parts of the community to opticians. Yeah. And it turned out that there were hundreds of children who literally just either needed glasses and didn't have them or had glasses but hadn't got an up-to-date prescription. And once they joined those things up, it was a health change, but it dramatically had an impact on literacy rates and education. And in a sense, I, I think one of the challenges is we try and compartmentalise everything. So the business case for health has to deliver a business case in health. And the reality is, if you're going to do levelling up, as you've just said, Jackie, some of what you do will cascade through well beyond the doors of, you know, your hospitals, but be yeah. hugely important to drive levelling up. Yeah, well, you know, a very big project that we're working on now relates to the east of Birmingham which which sees and, and solely hold but particularly the east of Birmingham of course you have some of the worst unemployment some of the worst housing some of the worst deprivation and alongside Solihull Council we're really keen to take the opportunity of the development of HS2 a bit of land that is around the HS2 development um, over near Birmingham Airport and actually use that yes to build new health provision but in a way that will contribute to economic regeneration that may well have some housing linked to it that will um, develop jobs over in that part of the city where we can put some transport links in and what's more we want to use it to drive our digital transformation which is actually about saying look um, one of the things it says is inside the hospital you have some incredibly 
experienced and knowledgeable consultants. Driving them around communities is not feasible, but if you use technology and if you link them into GPs and to community hubs, you can actually get that expertise out into communities in a, using um, technology in a way that we haven't been able to do previously. So you've got a whole range of different, you've got some health outputs there, but you've also got some economic outputs, you've got some regeneration going on, you're linking it into a major development, you're doing it in the part of the city that most needs that development to happen. You're absolutely right to say, you know, and you and I know from government, don't we, that there is nowhere more siloed, I'm afraid, however much all of us talked about, you know, joining up government, than in that sort of public policy government area. And actually, that's not the way the world works. What <laughs> the way you get the most out, you know, bloody hell, what, if only the Treasury would realise how, what a good idea it is if actually sometimes you're a bit more flexible in your thinking about how you see the links between um, uh, developments, because that is public money being spent to best effect um, because it's impacting on a wider area. But that's not one minister or one organisation delivering that. And that's where you get into complicated public policy. And we're actually thinking about it on the basis of levelling up as opposed to here's this budget line or here's this government department or here's this institution. It's really an important mindset. It's really interesting you say that because when I was doing opportunity areas, one of the things I considered was do I get together with DWP or Treasury and if you like do a, a get a couple of other departments on board and and I decided not to because I thought actually I'll never get this thing off the ground mm -hmm. and actually the best thing to do is just get it going see how it goes and then if it looks like it's having an impact and, and we get a clearer sense of what the others can do then I'll maybe have those conversations um, of course what happened Jackie was we got opportunity areas like Bradford, Stafford, all of them going, they all kept connected up locally anyway. They didn't need to be told to do it through Whitehall. And I think, you know, it's really interesting listening to, to what you're saying around what, you know, what your trust is doing, because the reality is actually, if you can give people a sensible, you know, levelling up goals architecture, they'll just get organised within it yeah. anyway. And I think... Maybe the best way to break down the silos in Whitehall, I've discovered, is just to get the grassroots change going and then to present ministers with some of those results that show, if you like, where the linkages can obviously be. And, and yeah. you know, what we've really wanted to try and do through all of this work and, and again, why we're so, you know, delighted to be working with you is I think there's a lot of what you're doing on the ground for your trust, which is huge and diverse, that is best practice. And if we can start to get into that, showcase it, then actually not only will it be really helpful, I think, for a wider NHS, actually um, for a wider public services, I'm sure there'll be some in other organisations that think, well, we could kind of take on similar, similar points, do similar things. And that's actually, in my view, how you get change at the end of the day. I think yours, I mean, we like um there's nothing like a former minister to be um, sort of liberated by being out there. <laughs> um I, I I'm sure you feel the same way you know I'm enormously proud I spent 10 years as a minister I'm enormously proud and I, and I did some stuff I'm proud of and I loved it but 
Um, you are absolutely right that sometimes when it comes to problem solving, relationships, you know, and innovative solutions, that's not what government does best. That is done at a local level. And, you know, I chair um, the Birmingham City Board, which tries to bring together all sorts of different sectors across across Birmingham. And we've set ourselves the challenge of at a Birmingham level, how do we build out of COVID in a way that tackles the inequalities we've identified during the course of the time and really find some sort of Birmingham solutions. And the reason why we want to work together is precisely because you can find those things that work locally, but actually they probably do have wider implications and learning as well and probably what you know I think you're absolutely right you find the answers and then what you have to say to ministers is look this is working and guess what it would work even better if you took that barrier away or you enabled us to, to you slightly change the restrictions on that fund that that uh, bit of money so that we could spend it in a slightly different way in other words we can make it work government now you've got to just get remove the barriers and get out of the way in order to facilitate that. And government doesn't find that very easy to do, as we well know. <laughs> I no. think the right way to go about it. Uh, yeah, I'm absolutely sure. And I mean, I wanted to ask you about a couple of a couple of things, actually. One was what you're doing within your trust on progression through the learning hub that you put in place and employability for the community. But then also I wanted to talk to you about all these volunteers yeah. that have run towards helping the NHS, but but perhaps first tell tell me a little bit about that employability work that you're doing in the learning hub and and, and setting that up and 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 if you like how it's working in practice. Maybe explain for people listening what all of that involves. Yeah. So about it was just before I came to the trust actually about ten years ago, at the QE in particular. Um, they, I think, took a very important step, which was to say, look, we're big employers. We need people to come into the NHS, but we're also good at training people generally in terms of employability. So let's use part of our grounds to set up this learning hub where we'll be providing employment programmes for people who are uh, finding it particularly difficult perhaps to get back into work. Um, we will offer them the opportunity to do some of their, their, their sort of employability and their, and their work training through the NHS. Some of them will then decide that they want to work with us, which is always good because, you know, finding the workforce th that will stay with us in the NHS is a constant headache. But some of them simply use those skills to then go on and work elsewhere. Uh, around the city but they will have had that route back into work through what we've what we've done and we've expanded that in a range of different ways including across the trust in the time that it's been running and there have been you know evaluations of it have suggested that it's um more successful than some traditional job um uh, job programs and um it's i think it's both you know, it's a real win-win because it's the right thing to do for the community in terms of providing employment opportunities, but it's the right thing for us to do as employers who want to attract people in and, and keep them. So um, that's been really important. And why would you think it's working so well, Jackie? You know, you said you think it might be more, in a, in a sense, better than some of the other, the other support that's out there. What works about it, would you say? I, 
I think it's because in the NHS, you've got a whole variety of different, you know, this is a very large organisation where people can get a range of different experiences within the trust. It's it, in, um, and then there are, there are opportunities for them to carry on working in the NHS, or they've got very good training that then enables them to take that, uh, or mm -hmm. good, you know, good learning about work that other employers will look at and think, okay, yeah, that's somebody that I can, I can trust and, and build on. And um, I think that's probably, uh, you know, because we're such a big employer, we've got the ability to be able to offer quality and, and you know, just to do all of those HR things that you, you have to do right in order to, to offer it. But we also try to be imaginative, you know, in other ways we're bringing in, um, We've got the biggest programme of um, nursing associates, for example, which is another way for people to come into nursing um, through the trust. And um, that's, you know, that comes, that, that's also, all of this is not wholly altruistic. You know, we, like many um, trusts, have, a, have an issue about getting enough nurses in. So why wouldn't you want to offer people the opportunity to come into the trust through a different route um, for people who perhaps hadn't thought about nursing before and who then have a loyalty to the organisation and want to stay and, and work there. It just absolutely makes sense. And as an employer of 21,000 people, it's, the, it's just the right thing to do as well and provides opportunities throughout, throughout the city. One of the things that we'd seen elsewhere was a model around community health where you literally end up providing community health but actually through that supporting people and, and giving them opportunities to volunteer in the community health provision itself and them then getting that experience doing that growing their confidence then perhaps thinking oh maybe I could do a bit of training and actually do this properly as a role and actually them becoming really credible people who are involved in properly supporting community health and and again it becoming a really a really virtuous circle um is you, you must have had a huge number of people who've been volunteering and and if you like become part of your overall covid push for whom that's really been the first time they've probably really seen up close how the nhs works do you feel that's one of these moments we can use to to get maybe a whole new generation of people thinking about becoming part of the NHS who maybe never would have considered it before. That's really interesting Justine because you know we've got a brilliant volunteering program although to a certain extent in the hospitals it's had to slightly go on the back burner during mm -hmm. the period of Covid because of course we haven't been able to have people, you know, because of infection control and everything, we haven't been able to have people in the hospital in quite the same way as we have previously. These volunteers are, you know, it's a, it's a generalization and, and we've recently lowered the age range actually for people to volunteer, but they're quite often older people. Now that's still brilliant because actually these are people who are contributing to our patients, contributing to our trust, keeping, you know, who've had often really good careers and have now got loads to contribute as volunteers. 
But in the vaccination programme, you're absolutely right. What we've seen, you know, and I've seen friends of mine, including a lot younger than me, who volunteered in the vaccination programme and have come up close and personal with NHS staff, probably for the, you know, they probably haven't been in hospital because they're quite young and healthy, but they've now had an opportunity of working alongside the NHS, seeing what it's like, getting a feel for how that um, operates. And I think, you know, this is, I want, us, I want to go away and think about this a bit more because I think how we use that, and as you say, how we actually get that out more into the community as well, is a really interesting opportunity for people because people have looked at the NHS over the last year and they've seen something new in it and they want to volunteer or they want to work in it. And frankly, we've got to maximise the benefit that we get out of that um, as we go forward. Yeah, it does feel like it's it's a definite moment. And and also, I think people's attitudes almost towards key workers, if I can call it that, has changed. I think there's there's almost this more nuanced understanding of just how much it takes to keep the show on the road, if you like, of our day to day lives that perhaps we collectively hadn't really quite appreciated and. And that can take a whole range of di different roles within the NHS. Some of them are caring, but there are so many people involved in a range of different roles around logistic, procurement, yeah. you know, the, the sort of support teams that are there making sure that patients get great, great nutrition. It's so much bigger, isn't it, even than just the direct caring stuff, Jackie? And one of the stars for me of our trust during the period of COVID has been our head of procurement, Simon Clark and his team, who I hadn't, you know, I hadn't really come across him before, but he has been absolutely at the heart of how we've dealt with the pandemic. He's the person that's organised the mutual aid to get the PPE sorted. He's the person who's, you know, was working night and day to get the ventilators into the hospital. He's also the person who set up this uh, Midlands Collective for procuring PPE, which mm -hmm. has used the diversity of the region to develop PPE uh, um, as well that was particularly suitable for people from different ethnic backgrounds, perhaps because they needed special beard covering or they, uh, they um, you know, were wearing hijabs or, you know, all mm -hmm. sorts of different things, which of course you think, well, of course we should be good at doing that in Birmingham. We've combined the diversity of the city with the manufacturing expertise that we've got, and we've come up with something really good. And he's led that, you know, and you know, procurement in the NHS, is not something that you would ever have really thought about as being particularly sexy or interesting previously, but he's been absolutely crucial for getting us through the last 15 months. Yeah. And it turns out that procurement rocks, doesn't it? <laughs> and who would have thought? I, I, I feel passionately about this. As a former accountant um, who was also kind of slightly behind the scenes but felt I played a crucial role making those numbers add up, you know, there are all these other roles in an organisation like the NHS that are part of keeping your show on the road. And, and, and actually what we've discovered, it's a whole team. And everyone's there because they they play a role that that really, really matters. And I guess my final question really was just to get your reflections on just careers within the NHS. 
um, yeah. and progression and and it's like bringing through that really diverse talent that certainly the region that that you support has where where do you think your priorities are on on that over the coming the coming months and years yeah well first of all uh, you know there are some fantastic jobs in the NHS you know um, and I met somebody just the other day a young woman who's doing the NHS graduate trainee scheme full of beans doing a load of interesting managerial roles in the NHS at the moment we're we're able to provide her with all sorts of different um, opportunities everything from sort of you know hard end ops which is you know as you can imagine in the NHS at the moment hardcore through to supporting our research activity which is you know phenomenal and large in our trust I mean what a fantastic graduate job that is so you know I would mm. really encourage graduates to think about the NHS but then the other thing that we've really done seriously in the last year led particularly by our CEO is we've said look have we really are we really as good an employer in terms of diversity, inclusion and equality as we should be? And he's leading a really important part, a really important element of work on diversity in the trust. And it includes all sorts of things from reciprocal mentoring. So I'm, you know, in a mentoring relationship with a junior um, uh woman in the um, trust who's teaching me a whole load of stuff about what it's like to be a black woman in the NHS and you know I'm learning loads from it it's brilliant um, we're setting up um, as well what we're calling fairness root cause analysis session so where we find something that has gone wrong in terms of our approach to fair employment practices we're actually bringing everybody together and saying right just as we would do for a patient um, incident this if something's gone wrong in terms of our recruitment we're also going to have that root cause analysis and everybody is going to have to explain themselves and we're going to have to think about how we do that better in the future so in other words you know there are all sorts of opportunities to work in our trust and if you come into our trust from whatever background you will be treated fairly and you'll have the opportunity to get on because that's the only way we can provide the best care and build healthier lives which are the objective of our of our trust i think it's probably a, a perfect place um to finish jackie it's been really fantastic having you on um we're loving working with you um and the trust and really excited about you know what we can come out with once we've done all the work on the leveling up goals and and seen how they translate across so there's a massive opportunity and it's been fantastic hearing not only what you've been doing, but all the thoughts about where you take all of this, this impact that you can have um, going forward. Jackie Smith, thank you very, very much.